Well, we continue our walk through Joshua, and we finally got him across the river. And so I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And I want to read verses 1 through 7, and then pick up in verse 19. Joshua chapter 4, very significant chapter as we talk about the passing on of our faith, reminding our children and those around us of God's faithfulness to us, about the fact that the Word of God stands forever, and that our resting place is our faith in Christ and our faith in the Word of God that reveals to us our Christ. So in Joshua chapter 4, we begin reading in verse 1, Now it came about, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because of the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Now pick up in verse 19, if you would. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. And these twelve stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel, cross this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all of the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I will never forget November the 1st, 1986. The night before, I had eaten more than my fair share of chili loaded with jalapeno peppers and of cornbread with jalapeno peppers in it and with Tabasco and a little hot sauce and some other things, and I had done my duty and knew eating all that I could. Somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and had what I thought must have been a heart attack. My chest was hurting. My left arm was numb. I had a cold sweat. I was nauseated. Everything about me was hurting. I didn't know what to do. I got on my knees. I confessed every sin I had. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. I, and I just, I was doubled over in pain, and I was, I would just thought, well, I'll just take some Tums, I'll take whatever I can take, and it wouldn't go away. 3.30 came, and it wouldn't go away, and I didn't know what to do, and it, it was like everything was pressing in on me. And finally, early that morning, I called a friend, and I said, I need you to take me to the emergency room. 
Now you'd have to know my hatred for needles and being stuck on and, and all that kind of stuff to appreciate how desperate I was to even go to the emergency room. But, but I went and they took x-rays and they put things on me and everything else. They checked me out. They rolled me up and down the hall on that gurney, which I'm surprised no woman ever has a baby on that thing because it wobbles so much, you know, it ought to just shake them into labor. I don't know. but uh, So they bring me back. The doctor comes in and he holds up the x-ray and he says, you see that right there? And I said, yes. He said, do you know what that is? I said, no. He said, that's a gallstone the size of a marble lodged in your bile duct. And I said to him, what mean these stones? <laughs> and he said, it means you're going to have to have surgery. And so stones meant for me <laughs> a little bit of cutting open. Twice in Joshua chapter 4, Joshua says, when your children say to you, what mean these stones? Now, I, I, there's a little vial at home. I, I don't even know where it is, but my mom had uh, gallstones one time, and she had 141 gallstones, and they're in a little jar. And I, when I was a kid, I used to get them and shake them. It just sounded like a bunch of BBs, you know, and I'd, just, I'd get them in that little jar, and I'd shake them up and everything. And, and, and I'm sure somewhere in the process, in my little searching mind, I said, Mom, what mean these stones? <laughs> means I hurt, son, is what it means. What mean the stones? What, what are these stones here for? Why in the world would God tell a people who are crossing over into enemy territory, who are about to go to war to retake a land that God had promised them, why would God say, now wait, but before we go to war, let's have a little act of worship here. Let's go out here in the middle of the Jordan that you've just crossed over on dry ground and, and you take the time out of two million people to pick one person out of 12 tribes, each 12 tribes, and you get those 12 people to go in and you get them to find a stone in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing and you take that over and you place it up in a monument over on the other bank. Why would God do that? Why would God tell them to take the time to do that? Well, there's an eternal significance to this story, and there's also a present application. Building monuments and memorials is common to man. We do it for the achievements of great men and great leaders. We do it to honor the achievements of others. There's a, there's a road that goes through Richmond, Virginia, a very historic city, Monument Boulevard, and on it are monuments of Confederate leaders on huge big monuments that line that street that the Foreign Mission Board faces. In Washington, D.C., you have the Veterans Monuments of all the Vietnam War and Iwo Jima and other things. Why are those there? Why did we build the Washington Monument? Why did we build the Jefferson Memorial? Why the Lincoln Memorial? Why, why are all those things built? It is to remind future generations of the past accomplishments of those who have gone before us. It is so we won't forget. It is so that we will remember, so that we can take our children to places and say, this is a part of who we are. If it were not for these people, if it were not for these events, we would not be the nation. We would not be the people. We would not have the heritage that we have today if these people had not done what they have done for us. And so they come to the land, and the first task of the people is not war, but it's an act of worship, and it's an act of remembering. 
The 12 stones would commemorate God's mighty deliverance and God's miracle in drying up the Jordan River. It would be a reminder to them of God's faithfulness. Now, there are three key ways that these stones are used. In verse 7, they were used as a reminder. We need to remember. They were used as a reminder. In verse 21, they were used as an encouragement. This would encourage the people on that God had been faithful in the past and He would be faithful in the future. And then to the world around them, in verse 24, it was a witness. Now the word Gilgal means the reproach has been rolled away. The reproach has been rolled away. This was a place about two to three miles east of Jericho on the other side of the river in enemy territory, but it would become the place where Israel would come back to over and over again to readjust and for refreshment and for reevaluation and for relaxation. It would be kind of their camp, their command central. They would come to Gilgal over and over and over just to try to refocus their lives. And so at that place of refocusing, Joshua says to them, build a monument, build a memorial, so that when your children say, what mean these stones? You can say to them, they are the evidence of our first steps of faith into the promised land. Now, this was not to be a religious relic. It was not to be an idol that was worshipped. It was rather a monument and a memorial of gratitude to God and gratefulness to God. It was a powerful reminder. Every stone was a reminder to each tribe that they had been delivered by the hand of God. It was a potential teaching tool. What is this here for? This is here because of what God did in our family and in our tribe and in our nation. It was a physical witness of the grace of God and of God's deliverance of His people. The stones were to preserve and to perpetuate the memory of what God had done for Israel. It was a day of days. It was a day that was to be talked about. It was a day of telling. It was a day of retelling. Now, here's what happens to us. And I think God did this then because He has to do the same thing with us now. We have a tendency to remember what we should forget and to forget what we should remember. We have a tendency to remember every bad thing and every raw deal and every time that somebody's tripped us up or messed us up or dented our car or rained on our parade. I mean, we've got the tendency to always remember the bad And we have a hard time remembering the good. He's been faithful to me. I wonder how often I remember that. I wonder how many signs of faithfulness I could list for somebody. You see, it's easy for us to talk about all the bad things that happened to us. We remember those quite well because they mark us. But that prayer that you prayed for your college student to get home safely when they were driving all night from college is just as significant to remember when they got there as it is the time when they had the fender bender. We remember the fender bender. We don't remember the times when they were safe. That time when your child went off for the first time on that bicycle and you didn't know what was around that next corner and you just breathed a prayer, Dear God, protect my child. It's significant to remember that. We tend to forget what we ought to remember, and we tend to remember what we ought to forget. You know, sometimes we kind of view life, we like to find the dark lining in every silver cloud. 
We just want to find the bad. But listen, the first deterrent to backsliding is remembering. If you want to keep fresh in your walk with God and current in your relationship with God, the first deterrent to backsliding is remembering. Remembering what God has done and remembering how good God has been. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. You know, one of the things you learn in ministry is that people have short memories. And if you haven't learned that in life, it's because you haven't had your eyes open. You see, we're towards one another like we are towards God. We kind of have the attitude, well, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? What, what did you do for me this week? You did something for me in the past, but what about this week? What are you going to do for me? Somebody said a preacher is only as good as last week's sermon. And there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you can be a hero one Sunday and a zero the next one. You preach on something people want to hear about, boy, everybody talks about you and how wonderful you are. Preach on something somebody doesn't want to hear about and they'll figure out some way to gripe about it. Isn't that funny how we're that way? Well, God, what have you done for me lately? Well, God, here I am in the middle of all this, and what have you done for me? What I have to be thankful for, I tell you, you've got more to be thankful for than you're remembering. You've got more to be thankful for than you can write down with one pen and one notepad. You just begin to think about all the things that you need to remember. Now, what do we need to remember today? Well, there are three things. First of all, we need to remember that our faith is based on historical facts. Our faith is based on historical facts. Now, history is an interesting subject. As I've told you before, I minored in history, and, and my, most of my classes in that were in Civil War history, but, but history is a, is a fascinating subject. And you know why it's fascinating? You cannot rewrite the law of gravity. You cannot rewrite the law of aerodynamics. But people are constantly trying to rewrite history. They're trying to take things out of history that we're uncomfortable with in 1990. So if we're not uncomfortable, if we're uncomfortable with it, we say, well, you know, in the 90s, that's not really something we want to emphasize, so we just want to leave that out. Every reference to the faith in a sovereign God of our founding fathers has been removed from our textbooks. The references to the awesomeness and the sovereignty of God has been removed from any historical teachings about the Magna Carta. Every founding document of ours that has references to God's blessing on this land have been removed. Why? Because some idiot with a computer thinks that he can delete whatever he wants to delete and make history say what he wants it to say. And that's wrong, my friends. By the way, if you are politically correct, you are biblically incorrect because you cannot rewrite history. You say, well, we don't want to show a God who killed his enemies. Well, God didn't seem to have a problem with it. He didn't seem to have a problem with you. You know what? He's not worried about his reputation. The Lord God is not walking around heaven and saying, oh, I wonder what those sweet little people down on earth think about me. Hey, he's already given his best. He hadn't got anything else to prove to you. Our faith is based on historical facts. 
That means that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are true. That means that the axe head swam. That means that the donkey talked. That means that Jesus rose from the grave. That means that he was virgin born. That means all that's true. We don't have to rewrite it. We don't have to make it acceptable for anybody. We don't have to clean it up so it makes people feel more comfortable. We don't have to justify it. We just say, this is it. If you like it, fine. If you don't, that's your problem. Now, that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God is not open for debate and it's not open for discussion. Our faith is based on historical facts. By the way, there's more historical evidence right now in any major university library. There's more historical evidence that Jesus Christ lived and died, was crucified on a cross, and His body disappeared after three days and has never been found. There's more historical evidence to that event than that any of the Caesars ever lived. Now you ask people, you believe Julius Caesar ever lived? Oh man, yeah, they've had movies about him. Yeah, I believe Julius, A2 Brute, you know, I mean, yeah, I believe, I believe, yeah, Caesar lived, sure did. You know, there are less than 10 documents that even give evidence that Julius Caesar ever lived. There are over 3,000 outside the Bible that give evidence to people who are eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ. What's your problem? By the way, just in case you need to know a little more, there's more evidence that Jesus Christ, outside of the Bible, that Jesus Christ lived and died and His body disappeared and His disciples established a church and that that church has made an impact on the world, there is more evidence outside the Bible than there is that George Washington was the first president of the United States. Now, anybody here doesn't believe George Washington was the first president of the United States? I tell you, you want to make a scene today? Go to lunch. Go to a restaurant. Stand up on top of a table and stand up and announce, I'm here to tell you that George Washington never existed and he was never president of the United States. That'd be somebody over there calling 911. We got a funny one over here. You need to come get him. <laughs> the guy's losing it. I mean, he's losing it. He ate the broccoli too much. I'm telling you, he's lost it. Our faith is based on historical facts. It's not based on, based on myths or legends, or opinions, or philosophies. It's based on historical events that God intervened in, and through the miracle of His sovereign act in history, our faith is real, and we need to remember that. We're not here pumping up a story and trying to make something sound good. We're not trying to talk ourselves into believing anything. In fact, it takes more faith to not believe the Bible than it takes to believe the Bible. Our faith is based on historical facts. Now, why is it important for us to remember that? Because what you fail to appreciate, you fail to protect. If you don't appreciate what God has done for you, then you won't protect and preserve what God has done for you. In fact, what you don't appreciate, you don't protect. And when you don't protect it, it doesn't matter if you lose it. That's why we're full of liberal churches today. Because somebody along the way decided it wasn't worth protecting and standing up for the authority of God's Word, and that wasn't really important, that really all that mattered was meeting people's needs. You can't meet people's needs if you don't do it from a biblical perspective, because then you just do it for yourself. What you fail to appreciate, you fail to protect. Now, let me just give you an example of that. Now, stay with me on this one, okay? Have you noticed 
that your children or your grandchildren believe that nothing significant happened before they were born. It's true with every generation. You know, kids go to visit grandma and grandpa and they sit down and sit down by pop and pop says, Yeah, you know, I lived through the depression. And the kid says, well, You know, I was watching a special on TV and they got medication for depression now. <laughs> no, not that depression, the depression. What happened? Well, you just couldn't imagine. Well, I don't want to know. They don't want they don't care about the depression. They're not interested in depression. Well, I don't tell you, son, I fought in the war. Which war? Was that the one in Panama? No, it wasn't one. It was the war. It was the big one. The big one. How do you know which one the big one is? It's the one I fought in. <laughs> Kids don't ever think anything significant ever happened before they were born. Like, for instance, we were sitting around one time, and we were, we were having a conversation, and we were talking about where we were and what we were doing when Kennedy was shot. And one of the kids in the room said, who was Kennedy? Just the event that marked a generation in the 60s. You see, we, we fail to remember it. And, and, and you see people, especially that have been raised in the church all their lives, and they're sitting around, you know, especially the older you get, say, boy, I tell you, there were some good old days in the church, man. We used to have dinner, boy, they'd spread that fried chicken out, and they'd get all that green beans and corn on the cob and sweet potato pie, and I mean, they'd spread that out. We'd be waving the bugs off, and everybody would be out there in their aprons, and we'd have dinner on the grounds, and all day singing, we'd sit out under a tree, we'd sweat, sit on the back of a wagon. It'd be such a great day, and I I'm telling you, there's no day like that. And the kids are sitting there going, it wasn't air-conditioned? <laughs> Y'all sang all afternoon? You went to church all day? How could that be significant? You see, what you fail to appreciate, you fail to protect. It is important that we remind our children and our grandchildren about the historical facts of our faith. Because if we don't, they won't know them. Because nobody else is going to teach them that. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility to teach and to remember the historical facts of our faith. Now, there's a second thing. Our faith requires a place of readjustment. Our faith requires a place of readjustment. Turn, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Gilgal, again, was this place of readjustment and of reevaluation and of refreshing. Now, on Labor Day Sunday evening, we're going to meet out on our upper campus, and we're going to have a time of refreshments. We're going to have a time of eating, but we're going to have a time of remembering. We're going to kind of talk through what God's done for us this year. And we're going to remember, because as we move toward our 40th anniversary as a church, it's important for us to remember so that in remembering, we can look ahead and see what God might want to do in the next 40 years. So we're going to gather together on Labor Day Sunday evening. We're going to talk about it. We're going to rejoice in it. We're going to celebrate, and we're going to remember. That's what Gilgal was for. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is where Moses reminds the people that they need to remember some things. In verse 11, Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied, 
and have built good houses and lived in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. So he brought you water for out of the rock of flint. And in the wilderness he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, verse 17, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now, they were not in danger of forgetting about the crossing of the Jordan they were in danger of forgetting who got them across the Jordan. You see, our danger is not in forgetting our humble beginnings. Our danger is not in forgetting those days when we didn't have a nickel to our name and when we lived in a shanty and all those things. Our, and now we've moved up and we've progressed. And, and now our danger is not in remembering the process. It's in forgetting that God's the one that got us through the process. That's the danger. The danger is you think, yeah, well, I tell you what, that's why I got a college education. Oh, that's why I work 80-hour weeks. It's because I, I knew I was going to be able to get to this point one day. That was my goal in life. I wanted to get to this stage in my life where I'd be comfortable. The danger is in forgetting that it's God that gave you the strength, that God that gave you the might, that God that put the power in your hands, that God did it all to give you the ability to do any of that in the first place. It's in forgetting God in the midst of His blessings on your life. Now, He's not saying worship the past. We don't worship the past. We build on the past. The past is the springboard for a leap into the present and the future. But what He's saying is this. When you do what God wants you to do, when you obey God, when you walk with God, then you should look at the past and see what happened in the past and look at your present and say, am I still walking with God? Am I still obeying God? Am I still following God in the present like I did in the past or like they did in the past? You see, do I have the faith that they had? Would I put my feet in the Jordan River? Would I trust God to part the waters? Would I trust God to step in on my behalf? In, in, in a sense, the present is always measured by the past. It influences our life. It, it determines how far we'll go. Now, you don't worship it. Don't do that. Sometimes people build monuments to the past and they worship those monuments instead of appreciate those monuments. They didn't put the 12 stones down there and say, now offer incense to these and, and these 12 stones are going to save you and these 12 stones are going to see you through. They were there to remind them. You see, they were supposed to come by and go there on family vacation. Gilgal was a hot spot in Israel. They were supposed to go, go there on family vacation. The kid's supposed to be walking down to the McDonald's and, and so they pass by these 12 stones and they say, uh, Dad, what mean these stones right here? Oh, son, that's to remind us that God did a work in Israel. Back there in the past when your great-great-grandfather 
crossed over the Jordan because they trusted God. And if he hadn't crossed over, you know where we'd be living right now? We'd be living there on the other side. See how dirty and dusty and barren that land is? That's what we call the wilderness, son. And if your great-great-great-great-grandfather hadn't trusted God right there, and that's a sign of it, then we would be over there and we wouldn't live over here. It's a reminder. It's a refocusing. It's a readjusting of our lives. But there's one more thing. Our faith must bear witness of God's faithfulness. And where Joshua puts the burden of proof is on the family. And particularly, he puts the burden of proof on the fathers. He comes to the end and he says that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. But he begins with two references when your children come. Not when the world walks by, not when your enemies come by, not when the people from other lands come by, but the first two references for the reasons for the stones are when your children ask you. You see, it was assumed that those children would see something in their parents of the spiritual nature and some evidence of faith in the life of their mom and dad that when they looked at them, they would say, what is it about your life that's different? They would be pointed to the life of Christ. They would be nurtured along and they would look and there would be some sense of curiosity about spiritual things. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Dr. Havner said, No man or woman had a nobler challenge or a higher privilege than to bring up a child for God. And whenever we slight that privilege or neglect that ministry for anything else, we are likely to mourn it in heartache and in grief. You see, these parents were to tell this story over and over, and that's what Deuteronomy 6 is about. And the, Verse 6, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, it's a part of your lifestyle. Verse 8, And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. William Temple said, The most influential of all educational factors is the conversation in a child's home. John Wesley said, I learned more theology from my mother than from all the teachers in England. You see, every tribe had a stone. This wasn't just a national monument, this was a family monument. Because every tribe was nothing more than the combination of all the ancestors of one of the fathers of that tribe. And so they would go and say, well, here's the National Monument, but, you, but you, see this, you see this one right here? You know, son, we're of the tribe of Judah. And that right there is a stone that our ancestor from the tribe of Judah put down in that stack and in that monument. And when he put it there, he put it there so that all his nephews and nieces and his cousins and his aunts and his uncles and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren so that they would all know that God did a mighty work when they came across Jordan. You see, son, that stone's there for a reason. That's not everybody else's stone. That's our stone. 
That's not everybody else's faith. That's the faith of our family. That's not everybody else's tribe. That's our tribe. That's our relatives. Those are our ancestors. That's our spiritual heritage there, son. That's what makes a difference. That's why we are called of God. That's why we are unique of God because we are different. God called us out and took us through. And there's the evidence of that. And don't you ever forget it because one day you're going to bring your son here. You're going to bring your daughter here. And I want you to point out to them and I want you to remember what I told you about this place. Do you have some stones of remembrance in your family? My grandparents have been long dead. When my grandfather, my mom's father died, and then about a week later, my dad's mother died, and so uh, they all died early on, except for my, my dad's father died early on in my life. But I have some very fond memories of going to my grandparents' farm and playing at, around the ponds and swinging in the tire swing and going on hikes through the pasture and going to the pecan grove and all through all of that. And a few years ago, we went a pretty substantial amount of miles out of the way and took my kids up there. Now, all it is today, the house is torn down, it's gone, the well is there, and that's all that's there. There's a fence around it, and you can imagine the results of nothing but cattle tromping across there for about 12 years. So it's pretty smelly, and it's pretty messy, and it's very unimpressive. But I took my kids there for a reason. Because I want them to look back and I want them to remember something that I remembered. You see, folks, you've got to take your kids back. And you've got to build into them spiritual heritage and spiritual truth and family values. And if you are waiting for the government to elect people to teach your kids values, you might as well forget it. They're not going to do it. If you're waiting for the right people to get in office to oppose the things that you oppose, you can forget it. We are going cross-culture here. And you better start building your own monument of things you want your kids to remember. Write them down. Take them to them. Show it to them. It may not mean anything to them now. It may be boring to them now. But there's going to come a day when they remember why you remembered. When they appreciate what you appreciate. The Jewish father was not to send his son to the Levite to get his spiritual questions answered. He wasn't to say to him, well, son, go to your Sunday school teacher. That's why we hired a youth minister. That's why we have a staff up there at that church. Go ask them. The spiritual father in the times of Joshua and all through Jewish history was to answer his child's theological questions himself. Now, let's just be honest. You know why churches have to have big staffs? Because dads don't have the guts to be the men that they're supposed to be and answer their kids' own questions. Rather than being a supplement and support for the home, we become the substitute for the home. And my friends, that's a sin unto God. We didn't take your kids to raise. We took your kids to reinforce what you're supposed to be teaching them day in and day out. It's not my job to raise your kids. It's not my job to teach your kids spiritual truth. My job is to teach your kids that what you're teaching them is true. And you're supposed to be in the Word of God enough and in line with God enough that the spiritual decline doesn't take place in your family. 
The Judeo-Christian ethic is gone out of schools. I doubt if it'll ever come back. We can fight over prayer over school from now to the millennium. I want to tell you, I'd like to do a survey. I'd like to do a lie detector test on every person that's written a letter about prayer in school. And I'd just like to ask him one question. Do you have a daily time of prayer with your family in your home? Well, no, but you know, we need prayer in school. Listen, brother, don't you be a godless hypocrite and write a letter to somebody and tell them prayer ought to be in school when you won't even pray with your wife and with your kids. You're a hypocrite. Don't you give me that stuff. And your kids know it. And that's why they don't ask you what the stones mean because you hadn't put any stones down for them to remember. Pass on to your kids religious material. Worried about them getting Sports Illustrated for kids. How about about them getting something that teaches them to walk by faith? And to trust God. You see, you've got a responsibility. I have a responsibility. The laws of this land are not going to adjust for us. We must run counter to the whims of the times, and we must say, thus saith the Lord, and here's where we stand, and here's our heritage, and we don't apologize for it. Let everybody think we're weird. That's okay. They had a right to be wrong. Saw one of our guys, one of our single guys uh, uh, this week. He's got a t Christian T-shirt on. He said, how can a moral wrong be a civil right? You ever ask yourself that question? Are y'all awake out there? <laughs> Let me ask you something, Dad. If your kids come and ask you what being sanctified in Christ means, do you know how to answer them? They just come and ask you what it means to be in Christ. Do you know how to answer them? If they ask you, how do you know, Dad? Show me in the Bible how you know that once you're saved, you're always saved. You know how to answer them? Say, well, I'm sure Brother Michael will clear out some time on his calendar this week to talk to you. Uh-uh, I'm not doing it. That's your job. Say, well, I don't have time. If you don't have time to get in the Word and teach your kids spiritual truth, you're too busy, my friend. If you don't have time to teach them to walk by faith, if you don't have time to remind them that the things of God are true, then you're already in trouble in your family. You just don't know it yet. Say, so, well, I, I, I'm not a Bible student. I didn't say you had to be a Bible student. Try reading it. It'll get you some mileage. And you can always say, I don't know, but let's find out together what it means. You don't have to be a know-it-all about the Bible. You just got to know how to get in it and get started. Now let me ask you something. They're going to put a tombstone on your grave one day. They're going to write an epitaph on it. Somewhere when your kids walk away from that grave, are they going to walk over to a stone of remembrance that's in their mind? Are they going to walk over to something? You said, you know, here, here are 12 things my dad taught me about life. Here are 12 things that my parents instituted into my life and started in my life that I live with today. Stones of remembrance. You know what we've discovered in the last few weeks? We've discovered that you can plan to give your house to your kids and you may not have it. You can plan to pass on the antiques to the kids and they may be destroyed. You can plan to give your jewelry to the kids and it got washed away somewhere. 
You can plan to give all your precious possessions to your kids and all your inheritance to your kids and your cars and your boats and your everything else. And in a moment, without enough time to recover, it's all gone. If all you can give your kids is what in your safety deposit box, I'm going to tell you, your kids are already spiritually bankrupt. If what you give them is not bigger than that safety deposit box and what's written in that will, if what you give them is not a passing on of your faith to that next generation, then your kids are bankrupt. What are you passing on? What are you teaching them? It's time for some men to be men. It's time for some single parents to take the lead, to take the responsibility in their home. It's time for all of us to remember because we're too busy forgetting. Oh, but you don't know what I've been through. Let's ask Israel what they've been through. Forty years of wandering in a wilderness. And the first thing they did was to worship God and say, God, we're going to build a monument here so we never forget how good you've been to us. Now, folks, quit trying to give your kids things that the government or the world can take away from them. And give your kids something that even persecution can't take away from them. And that's a faith grounded in Jesus Christ. You cannot control the world. You cannot control circumstances. You can't control the economy. You can't control what's going to happen with your possessions. You can't control your life. You can't control tomorrow. There's one thing you can control. You can go home and tell your kids that you're going to plant into their lives the things of God. And by the way, if you don't do it, everything we do up here is wasted time. You see, here's some of the places that it starts. In a moment, I'm going to make an announcement. In fact, I'll go ahead and make it now. That tonight's real important. 4.30's registration. 5 o'clock, we begin our play ball training. I'm going to tell you that it's very important for you to be here because it's important for all of us to get on board and to do our job and to do what God's called us and what God's saved us to do. And that if you want this church to be what God wants it to be, that you'll be here at 4.30 and register, and you'll be here at 5 o'clock to start on time for play ball training. Some of you have already got plans. You decide you're going to stay home, because after all, broadcast live on TV, you can watch service on TV, and you can just sit there and be comfortable and eat supper at the same time. Let me tell you the rock you just planted in your kid's life. The preacher says, Daddy, it's important. But after all, his opinion doesn't count, which means God doesn't count because he's doing this based on Scripture. So what Daddy says about staying home and sitting on his can is more important than coming to church. Congratulations, Dad. You just put a stone that you're not going to get out easily. Oh, uh, you know, we got ball practice on Wednesday nights. You know, these bodies, it's important for us, these kids to develop. Okay, so what Dad just taught me is that learning how to hit a ball and catch a ball is more important than learning about missions and reaching the world for Christ. And it's more important to him to stand out there and swap mosquitoes than it is for him to go to prayer meeting and learn how to be a man of prayer. So when I get to be big enough to make my own decisions, I'm going to not go to church on Wednesday night either. So don't you come belly aching to me when your kids reject the gospel that you just give a nodding agreement to. It's time to shape up, folks. 
It's time to get your spiritual act together. It's time to stand up for God or walk out the door and quit calling yourselves a Christian and bringing blasphemy to the gospel that demands your absolute allegiance. Now my problem today is I'm not preaching to a church. I'm preaching to a jury. You know why I'm preaching to a jury? Because you've come to church today trying to decide in advance. I say, I'll see what the preacher says and if I like it, I might do it. And you came to decide for yourself if God's Word is true. You know what a jury does, don't you? They weigh the evidence, they pull together all the facts, and then they make a decision about what they think is right. I want to tell you, the decision about what's right's already been made, and it's right here. And you've been overruled by the judge of heaven. And your sentence has already been cast. You can be jury all you want to be, but I'm going to tell you, this is no trial by jury. This is a trial of our lives by the Word of God. Now, are you going to be guilty? Are you going to be innocent? Are you going to be proven faithful? Are you going to be proven unfaithful? Oh, I wish you'd wait until school starts to start all this stuff. We've got to get everything settled back in. Listen, there's no time like now. Now's the time for you to stand to your feet. And now's the time for the choir to begin singing. And now's the time for you to decide once and for all that you're going to quit playing games with God. You're going to quit playing games with the church. You're going to quit playing with your commitment. And you're going to start being real and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ.